So, now that Disney has claimed the Netflix Marvel shows and the Fox properties, Daredevil, yeah, no, Deadpool can absolutely joke about Vanessa now. Oh, boy. I'm okay with that. Because you've got Kingpin's Vanessa and Deadpool's Vanessa. Very different people. Yes. What if they become one person? Whoa. Just just an idea. What if when they do the continuity smushing and whatever godforsaken things they're going to do that I'm going to hate, they just, just boof one person. There you go. Just for the jokes. Yeah. Oh, boy. The only reason why I don't think Deadpool will joke about it is because his Vanessa's dead. Did she stay dead at the end of two? I don't remember. I'm pretty sure so. Yeah. I don't remember how much of that movie is a dream sequence. <laughs> I've watched that, I think, since it came out. should do that again sometime. I like the second one better, to be honest. I don't think I watched either one of them since probably like 2019, maybe. Wow, you're so old. I know, right? My back on make that might cost more than a ton. Come meet the brothers who are here to waste your time. Uh, welcome back to the Dime Comic Bros podcast. Uh, we are two weirdos this week. Uh, we are missing our third compatriot, Colin. Ah! Uh, usually the one screaming in the corner about art being dumb or whatever. Um, I am your one of two co-hosts, Spencer, joined by Jacob. Hi. Um, we like talking about nerd stuff. All of the nerd stuff. Yeah, we don't have a life. Uh, so not we don't even have a life collectively between all of us. Uh, same thing with brain cells. But uh, we watched Daredevil this week, but not the good Daredevil, but the hey, maybe good easy. Daredevil. Uh, so Daredevil is a 2003 American superhero film written and directed by Mark Steven Johnson. Uh, it is based on the Marvel comic superhero of the same name. The film stars Ben Affleck as Matt Murdock, a blind lawyer who fights for justice in the courtroom and on the streets of New York as, a, as the masked vigilante daredevil. Uh, Jennifer Garner plays his love interest, Electra Nachios. Colin Farrell plays the merciless assassin, Bullseye. David Keith plays Jack the Devil Murdock, a washed-up fighter, and Matt's father. And Michael Clark Duncan plays Wilson Fisk, also known as the crime lord Kingpin, whereas I like to keep calling him Filson Whisk. Um... So this movie was received very mixed way back in 2003. Um, I will preface that we watched the director's cut because, of course, we did, which is... Spencer has a problem with director's cuts. Meaning if I it exists, only watch them. That's all he watches. This is correct. Uh, so it was the R-rated cut uh, reincorporates about 30 minutes of footage and cuts about 10. Uh, and it's also rated R because they say fuck, I think. Or they show a booby? I don't think I don't so. Know. Maybe there's like two... I think it's one, the blood. There's one extra pint of blood. Yes. It's just too much. Um, so this is a fairly, I think, um, from the director and writer, I think a fairly um, loving adaptation. It incorporates an ungodly amount of like parts and aspects from... The character over the years, referencing various it, different creators, and the, not just you know, not just Frank Miller. The opening shot is a, a well-known cover. <laughs> like, there's so many. I don't want to say references, but they, they just 
live action so many things from the comics. For sure. And it doesn't feel cynical, at least for me. Although some of it does not feel well done and a little bit too a little too much stuff. Yes. Um it does it feels more like someone who really likes the comics decided to write a screenplay. Yeah. Not someone wants to like just make money off of a property. No, so that, like, it definitely nice. feels like a love letter to Daredevil. Which was very uh, pleasant. So I want to go through the acting. Or, no, more like the casting. Because uh, Ben Affleck did much better than I remembered him doing. <laughs> yep. Michael Clark Duncan played a fantastic kingpin. Quite. Giant of a man. Just um, a little silly, very, very threatening. I very think nice. he was cheated by some poor camera choices because his opening scene made him feel smaller than he really was. And I was like, this is just a normal dude. And Spencer's like, no, he's like six foot eight and will kick your ass. So I was like, it doesn't look like it. And then he takes off his jacket near the end of the movie. I was like, oh my gosh, that's a mountain of a man. Very literally a mountain. Um, I would agree with Ben Affleck. I think so as the resident Ben Affleck obsessed nerd, um, I like seeing how many of his, uh, angsty vigilante isms got carried over to his performance as Batman. Like certain acting choices were a little similar, different characters, different vibe, but definitely different vibe. I like that. It was a different, he wasn't just playing the same character. No, it just, it feels like there's a little bit of like, he learned from doing this before going to go be Batman. I like that. Also, he was like 25 when he did this movie. True. It was crazy looking at that. It, it's very odd just with how a lot of, I, th- I think in particular, the performances were received because he was roasted for, like, he, people just started letting this go. I think he got like a Razzie for it. It was insane. Weird. Uh, it's like good it's not incredible but like he's solid yeah it's solid um Um, colin farrell he's having too much fun it's amazing i i couldn't have told you another movie i've seen him in he is such a a freaking swiss army knife of an actor yep like but he was was not in the movie swiss army man I was surprised at how many movies I've seen him in. I was like, that's him? Oh my gosh. Very surprising. Uh, He is a bit uh, goofy. Oh, for sure. Uh, He has a tattoo brand thing on his forehead. Yeah. I was thinking more when he's going through the airport with his arms raised like, yes, look at me, worship me. Oh, that was great. (sighs) I like the... um, I don't know why I liked it, but there was like a rattlesnake noise whenever he moved his jacket. <laughs> it I don't understand why they would make that choice, but I liked it. Uh, after praising the casting, though, <laughs> um, Jennifer Garner is kind of a rough choice to play electric nachos. Um, I agree. So my big um, gripe, I think, with this movie in terms of general quality issues... I believe stems from either a misunderstanding of the character of Electra or trying to turn her into something she's not. Because casting Jennifer Garner in a role for a woman who, in the the original source material, is supposed to basically be 
the really hot ex that you shouldn't be with because she's toxic as hell, but you want to be because she's fun. And that's usually what she is in the comics, and she bounces back and forth. And then this character starts off like, uh, I'm, I'm not like other billionaires' daughters, you know, because she wears denim jackets and wants to get away from her bodyguards. Like, she's like, she get, comes across, like, wholesome Jennifer Garner vibes, which is fine, I guess. But then when she's supposed to go fucking ballistic at the end of the movie to um, Evanescence in a very over-the-top suit-up sequence, which I love, um, it's not convincing. She doesn't, she doesn't seem angry or, like, vengeful. She looks like Jennifer Garner putting on black leather. <laughs> Down, boy. Down. I don't think that that was a good pick for the role for a whole host of reasons, and I think the rest of the movie's problems kind of stem out of that choice. Because... I think Elektra as a love interest in all of the Daredevil stuff I've ever read, she works well as um, one part of the equation. It's not just an Elektra love story. It has contrast with either another love interest or it's going over their previous backstory versus this one. They just meet as adults and then he gets framed as Daredevil for killing her father and then she hates Daredevil and there's ooh interpersonal drama. It just feels weird, and her and just that leaks into her performance and the what feels like almost lack of directing for her. I, I don't know. It that's really weird, and that what is is really where the movie falls apart for me is that romance is just trash. They do the the death of Electra, and it's like, ooh, I should care, but I don't. You know, the whole character just seemed mishandled it just written poorly they couldn't decide what they wanted with her uh i mean jennifer garner plays the part that she's written for it's just i think it's just uh somebody upstairs couldn't decide what they wanted with this character probably um i do like um ben urick i appreciated his inclusion he gets a lot more time in the director's cut um I don't know about the characterization in and of itself. Um, it felt a little strange to me to cast... Chris Pantalino-Lini. Joe Pantaleono. Yeah. I think is how you pronounce his name. Um, I don't know if that was the right choice. He comes across very odd. And this is because I exclusively see him as Cypher from The Matrix. Um, but... I don't know if that was right, but I really liked how key of a role the character played in the film. Um, and I also really liked John Favreau as Foggy. Um, his intelligence level is relative depending on the scene, but he is funny. Yes. Um, I can agree with both of those. Uh, I could... I did not remember at all that it was John Favreau as Foggy. I was shocked. I think that they have surprisingly good chemistry. Yeah. Yeah. They, it's they, good stuff. They actually put they they properly take stabs at each other it's not like no you're so silly it's like nah you're a douche let's go get coffee like it it feels a lot more adult of a friendship uh this is definitely an early 2000s movie though oh my gosh i love it i love it so much that's I don't understand why you love it so much you give me so much shit about watching shitty movies um, I don't know why in particular. I have this very weird fascination with the late 90s into early 2000s. It's when, historical. 
Well, that's <laughs> around when I was born. But I wasn't alive to see any of the culture, so I have to appreciate it now in retrospect. And everyone is always talking about how over-the-top and angsty and grungy everything was. No disagreements there. And those are the things I like in general. So, like, when the movie is just chalk-filled with but, metal songs... But um, do you like over-the-top? Yes. The movie? I don't even know what that is. I'm pretty sure it's a movie. Mm, no clue. Um, when the movie is, like, chalk-filled with Evanescence... Or, you know, other movies would be, like, Linkin Park. Um, I love that. I, I don't care. They did it before it became a meme to, you know, be angsty to an Evanescence song. They did it first. And it's fun. And it has that very early 2000s, you know, superhero movie vibe of this didn't cost a whole lot of money and we're trying really hard, you know? It, it feels like a real movie production. Instead of feeling like a very, 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 very expensive, um, like, screen test? I don't know. A lot of movies right now, or more recent superhero movies, feel not like movies. Over the Top was a 1987 Sylvester Stallone movie. I don't think I've seen it. I guess I'll have to add that to my list. I haven't seen it either. Nice. Um, I don't know. I like the vibe. I, the, the leather is a, it's a little silly. Uh, it's kind of fun though. It has enough self-awareness to know that it's silly and campy. I like Daredevil's suit. I like everything except the actual Daredevil logo on it. That's dumb. And the cowl. It doesn't cover his nose at all. And it's kind of weird. Hmm. It gives him a funky head. It look his head ends up looking like two balls stacked on top of each other, because the cowl compresses his hair and squeezes up against his eyes, and then it just leaves his entire bottom half out. It's really bizarre. It makes a decent silhouette, I guess, but when you look at him, like why am I seeing up Ben Affleck's nose? This is weird. But the suit itself is is fine. No real qualms. The um, baton utility. Baton thingy over is the great. Top. I love that. <laughs> it does do everything right out the yeah. gate. Just you twist this and you pull it. It's such a comic booky thing. Yeah. Was I think Colin was talking about Nightwing's baton yep. thing like that like two weeks ago. Last week. That's that sort of stuff is phenomenal. I was thinking about that as we were watching it. It was basically the same thing. I love that. I mean, I lost my mind when they did that in Daredevil season two. I was like, finally, we get the baton from the comics. I love yeah. that stuff. It's so. Funny, and also really irresponsible of Matt Murdock to have his superhero weapon also be his walking around as a normal person walking stick. That is a very, very unwise choice. On the one hand, oh crap, maybe I need to go incognito right now and I need my walking cane. But dude, it's the same handle. Like, people are going to find out. It, yep. It's too obvious. <laughs> you get tripped up on that, really. The general attention to detail, not necessarily in... Um, the writing for sure, but I think in like general set design and, uh, costuming was pretty solid. Um, like the amount of effort put into Daredevil's apartment and the various sorts of blind man shenanigans that go on in there was pretty cool. Like, I like that Wilson Fisk had his cane thing. I do like Wilson Fisk with a cane and he clearly needed it because man's got bad knees. Um... Also, then Daredevil decides to kick out his knees, and that was disgusting. Yes, big, uh, big oof. That's nasty. Um, 
I don't know, like the sleep deprivation, not sleep deprivation, the um, sensory deprivation tank for sleeping yep. makes a lot of sense because he can't like drown out the noise otherwise. I like that. I like the the little stuff, like folding his money in different directions. I think that's something that blind people might actually do. Absolutely. So like, it, it, like little things like that were kind of cool. The fact that his apartment looks like crap, even though it's a really expensive big place because he doesn't see it. And he doesn't care, and the lights are always off. It's just little stuff like that. It's kind of nice. Um, I ge- I genuinely like this movie. It's corny. It's over the top. You purchased the director's cut on Blu-ray for our viewing I for did. six bucks. It was like six or seven dollars on Amazon. Brand spanking new. So worth it. Nice. I'm pretty sure I bought the the uh, double feature. Daredevil and Electro on DVD for like ten bucks. One of these things is not like the ago. other. <laughs> it's a little bit of a of a historic moment. It's a little time capsule into the past, and I like that. It was basically watching it for the first time for me because I saw this in like two thousand eight before I got into any comics. Like I didn't know anything about Daredevil. I was just like, "Ooh, superhero movie, let's go!" So. Uh, the only thing I really remembered about this movie was the the radar vision. That does look cool. Still holds up. That's a great effect. It's very cool. I liked how they decided to like compress everything in, so he feels like the cars are like driving right over him. Like he's in the hospital room in the beginning. And then just a massive truck comes barreling through because yeah. this noise is so close. I really liked that. It requires him to actually, like, chill Focus. out for a second yeah. and try to, like, he uses his batons a couple of times to, like, use his bat sense. That's really cool. Well, I don't have a transition for it, but uh, let's talk about Moon Knight. Speaking, Episode 2. Speaking of street-level vigilantes with sticks... Does he have a stick though? Yeah, he gets he gets he gets the sticks at the end. He just pulls them out of his ass. Interesting. Uh, yes. So in this episode of Moon Knight, um, we follow Stephen in the aftermath of his uh, toilet shenanigans. I will not be doing that accent again. The loo. The, yeah. Um, he gets fired. Big rip. Um, and then he decides to follow up on a key that was next to the cell phone in his wall, uh, finds a storage unit, freaks out a little bit, uh, Mark's like, Give me control. Conchu. Give me control. Uh, and then Conchu's like, oh, you're dumb. Um, and then they get pursued. He gets kind of captured. Uh, he gets some lentil soup. They find his wife. They, yeah, you know, his wife is like, I'm your wife. Steven's like, I'm okay with you being my wife, but I don't remember you being my wife. Yeah, that's a that's a, a night in Vegas he does not remember. Um, they they do some fighting. He gives, he, he, he thinks that the suit that they keep referencing, you know, the Moon Knight ceremonial suit of Khonshu is a three-piece white suit. And... He becomes Mr. Knight, um, and it's really dorky, and I kind of love it. Um, I really love it. It's, it looks so good. It looks great. I appreciate that it's Steven, and that's his interpretation of what a, the suit is that they're talking about. 
So, and then Mark's like, what the fuck is this shit? What are you doing, you dumbass? They actually probably dropped the F-bomb, sort of. There's yes. a huge scandal about that online right now. And uh, oh, I'm pretty sure scandals. nobody cares because it fits. Yeah. Um, and then Kanchu is all, ah, we're going to Egypt. And then he wakes up in Egypt. Yeah. Um, okay. So I have some thoughts. I have watched this episode twice. Um, only twice. Only twice. Wow. Um, the, the reveal of when, when Mark and Steven are talking in the storage unit... And um, Mark's like, oh, do you want to know the truth? And Steve's like, yeah, no shit. Um, I didn't know whether we were supposed to find it to be a comedic reveal or if it was supposed to be serious because Mark is like, I serve Kanchu. I'm his avatar. So are you. It's like, okay, the music timing and pacing kind of feels like it's supposed to be funny. Like, it because it's so absurd? I don't think so. I think it's supposed to be serious. I don't know. It just didn't feel like it. Like, I think it, like, Mark is being very self-serious, obviously. But, I don't know. The timing felt really weird, because I was like, we know what that means. Steven's like, uh, what? I don't know. It it felt kind of odd. Um, but that's more a question than a gripe. I'm just not totally sure what I was supposed to feel in that moment. I think it's supposed to be serious. The uh, chase, quote in quotations, uh, that takes place in the like storage unit place with all the flashy lights was yeah. very fun. Uh, Big Birdman is scary. Scary Birdman. Yeah. Um, I think most of the lighting was done somewhat practically, and that was pretty cool. They probably expanded on it in the background, but like, right. some of those, there was at least a few of those units that were pretty real, and that was kind of nice. Yep, it felt good. Um, do you think? Crowley will ever break character and tell Steven something, anything. Good question. I um, think it might happen in the last episode. He'll be like, listen, man. That would be cool. Um, I don't know because it, I, I haven't, I don't know if the filmmakers are taking it as, hey, look, guys, it's Crowley. Like, it's supposed to be kind of an Easter egg. He's credited as Crowley. So I don't know if it's supposed to be like a nod or if it's going to actually be a plot relevant thing. So I don't know. I would like him to, I think. It would it would be nice. Um, he kind of broke character when Steven decided to very creepily give him a hug. Um, don't do that. Don't touch living statues. Don't be that guy. Let them just stand there. Um, him being married to Layla, who is basically a reworked Marlene, um, I think is a fairly large change. And I'm cool with it. It brings a different type of interpersonal drama into the situation because now Stephen is lecturing Mark about, like, leaving his wife behind. And, like, because Mark seemed, Mark is the type of guy to be all, I will do anything for the people I care about, including never seeing them again, quote-unquote, for their own good type guy. He will do all sorts of ungodly things. And then Stephen is a big soft boy who wants to, who's, who loves everybody but is like a puss and will not commit violence. So I think it's an interesting dynamic between the two. And it like Steven now has like ammunition against Mark. You know, he sits there lecturing him about leaving his wife. We don't know why exactly. Right. But it's a, it's a different dynamic than it had in the comics. And I like that. Um, 
I thought the the scarab effects looked weird, uh, borderline janky. I I couldn't really put words as to why it looked weird. It just didn't move fluidly. There was something odd about it, and uh, I talked about it with Spencer as we watched it yesterday, and couldn't really sort it out. So I don't know. There's something there, but was it buggy? Get out. <laughs> um, so I have, I, I think we can officially determine that Khonshu, and I'm going to assume the other uh, Egyptian gods in the Ennead are all real. Um, they're having an impact on the real world. Other characters can interact with them. Um, I mean, you see uh, Khonshu throwing platters and stuff yeah. in, in the dinner scene. So I'm thinking... Based on the, so in most, quote unquote, in, in many interpretations in the comic lore, um, the gods are sort of alien interdimensional beings. They are sometimes the elder gods, sometimes they're not, but they're other creatures. I think they're going to basically be like, they're going to do it kind of like the Norse gods. To an extent, it'll be presented differently, but I think in terms of actual like power scale, I think they're going to be around the Norse gods in the MCU because they're not actually gods. They just kind of pretend to be. Interesting. Uh, they're clearly different because they can like have avatars and they have different types of powers and different types of magic. But I don't think we're getting that much further out there. I think it's all in presentation. I think Khonshu, if if... I don't know, sometime down the line, someone wants to, like, punch Conchu in the face. They can just punch Conchu in the face. Like, he doesn't... I wouldn't suggest it. He's got a big beak. You can punch him in the side of the head. You can knock the beak right off of his body, because it's not connected. Um, I don't know. It feels like it, it's he's being dramatic. He's a very melodramatic character. You know, yes. uh, Harrow is sitting there making fun of him, because he's like, I am real just... It's almost cringy, and I really like it. Like, he's a really strange creature thing um and that's nice i like how they're not going down the maybe it's all in his head route mm. um I, they're all valid interpretations but i feel like in in the mcu i don't think that would have worked very well um you would have had the plot would be have to be entirely different because the runs where that is more of a relevant thing um have other justifications for why the shenanigans are going on like in the Jeff Lemire run, most of that basically all takes place in his head. So the plot progression is insane. He goes to Egypt and he fights flying crocodiles or whatever. Like that all takes place in like a fictional world in his brain. So that makes sense. And the um, 2014-15 uh, anthology series, most of those magical incidents can be explained from other things. Like uh, there's a dead guy in the floor with magic shrooms in his brain or like whatever. There's other reasons for why Mark could be communicating, quote-unquote, with a maybe being that doesn't exist. I don't know. The only thing I have to counter that is the security cam footage from him wrecking the loo. Uh, there's definitely one shot after all of the action where it's Mark Spector looking at the camera. And I he's like that. not uh, in his moon knight garb I, yeah, so i dig that is that you know after he's been moon knight and now it's mark specter again or is that just the whole fight was in his head i don't know i think but, i 
think based on if you so if you compare that with the fight at the end of this episode with another jackal, um, the civilians can see Stephen as Mister Knight. Right. The suit is magic, quote unquote magic, because he just summons it out of nowhere. But they can see it. They can't see the jackal, but the jackal does physically exist. It displaces things. It smacks Layla around like a good domestic abuser. It picks up Moon Knight and throws him. Yeah, it it <coughs> it can't be seen all the time. They have it's got some weird invisibility stuff going on. Oh, that's right. Layla threw water on him or something yeah. so that she could see him. Yeah, I think they may be planting the seeds for some sort of magical justification for why all of these mystical things have been stay they've stayed hidden for so long. Because if Arthur Harrow was a previous Moon Knight, that probably would have been like a decade prior. Like, that would have been a while back. At the very least. Yeah. So, all of these things happening. We're putting so many things before Iron Man, you know? All of these things before the world got used to weird shit happening. So I think they're, they might be kind of future-proofing it, of being like, well, some types of magic are just invisible to non-magic people or whatever. Just kind of lame, but I get why they'd do it. Um, it, it just makes life easier for them. Um, the last scene, not the last, last scene, the second to last scene, uh, that takes place on a weird, like, public stage or whatever, um, with Mark and Steven communicating through mirrors and Kanchu standing there, um, I really liked that little exchange. It was very, it was actually tense, which is something this show hasn't totally gotten to yet is actually having tension between their interactions and it progressed the character development a lot true it also gives a very we finally get to see mark be mark and he come it actually like lets us see how his personality works not just him in reflections being passive aggressive um he's kind of fucking crazy um kind of only kind of um and I, I appreciated that. And then the actual last scene in Egypt was pretty cool. Um, and then we, we can canonically confirm Mark Spector is Jewish because he has a Star of David around his neck. So they're not ignoring that part. That's cool. Wow. I'm looking forward to the next episode. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. There's only six episodes, right? Yes. They are marketing it as an event, not a series. That's which is weird. Very weird. I think they want to just put him in the background of other shows, which would be weird. That's but too bad, because I really like this. Yes. This is... I think... If this keeps going the way it is, this will be the best Disney Plus show. Definitely. Um, there are definitely gripes to be had, but I think it's continuing to progress in a way that's making me care about them less. It's very much so its own interpretation. The people writing it and directing it clearly know the Moon Knight lore yeah. and they just are choosing to just do weird shit with it and I'm much more on board with I disagree with your creative decision but I understand why you'd want to do it more so than and it's not like hollowly going through the motions yeah and it's not a bad choice it's, no it's a viable option so where is Jake um so something else that we that we that we watched we we watched um, we watched a couple. Of, we watched a lot of things this weekend. Yeah, it's been a busy weekend. Which one are you gonna choose? We're not talking about that one. Oh come on! I will do happy hour drunk by myself before I talk about Spider Man No Way Home. So we watched Morbius. Just for anybody's knowledge, I kidnapped Spencer and brought him to a free showing of No Way Home. 
he did not give Sony or Marvel or Disney or anybody any kind of money, and he finally saw it. So now all of his opinions are, are justified because he's seen it. Yeah. I am always justified in my in my opinions. Yeah, okay. <laughs> we watched Morbius. Yeah, Morbius, the, 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 the Vampire Man movie. Yeah. Uh, that finally came out. It wasn't all a meme. Colin was wrong. The movie did actually come out on April 1st. Um, I have seen it twice. And this is a this is a thing. I hesitate to call it a movie. I think it's a movie. I think well, technically it is a movie. It but is. But I a movie. think it's not very. Um, there are credits at the end. It's not really a movie in the way that it's presented. <laughs> the plot and scene to scene transitions are so weird. This movie feels. I read one description of this online. And I think it sticks. It's two-thirds 80s gay romance movie and then one-third missing footage. This thing was kind of hacked to... I don't think there's some perfect movie under here. Don't get that impression. But this movie was definitely re-edited a thousand times over. Yeah. And then something was lost in translation. Yeah. Absolutely. If it was ever there. <laughs> um, I liked it when I walked out of the theater. I was like, that was better than both Venoms. But after having thought about it more and, and listening to other opinions and uh, some recaps and stuff, I've realized that it was a really boring movie. <laughs> that I was just lost in the ideas presented and where they should have led to and were never followed up on. There's a lot of things brought in or mentioned, or set up, and it's like, yeah, do that! And then there's no payoff at all. Um, there's a lot of talking. A lot of talking. And Lots of voiceover, too. There's a lot of moody lighting, and but Morbius just standing there looking sinister, maybe? Yeah. Um. I honestly, there was one shot that stuck with me where he's in front of a soft red light and he stands and looks at the camera. It's like, ooh, cool shot. Oh, yeah, 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 that one. Like, it, it's, that's it, though. It's just a cool shot. There's no, there's no internal struggle for Morbius as a vampire that's trying to not vampire. Uh, and that's who Morbius is. He's a vampire that's trying to heal himself. Yeah, Ooh, it's a physician heal thyself, anybody? Yeah, it's a weird conundrum because the character in in the stuff that I've read and, you know, Spider-Man the Animated Series, um, the best Morbius with the hand suckers. Um, I don't know that one. Yeah, um, he had to get, he had to, he drank plasma. Because they couldn't do "I'm a vampire and I suck your blood out of your neck," uh. um, so they he had hand suckers and he'd like take your plasma from your blood. It was weird. Wow, I liked it. I think yeah, ba basically what you said. There's a whole host of some interesting ideas, but basically nothing is actual setup and payoff, or even planting seeds. It's like just there. Um, the key emotional relationship for the movie is set up in one flashback which is like five flashbacks in one flashback and ew child acting um 
it just is very weird. Um, it there's this dynamic reference later in the movie where Milo or Lucian is like really jealous of Morbius because Morbius got accepted by society because he became very smart and like went to school and whatnot. But that was never presented as a problem before. He never came across as jealous or like like it, the 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 problem you have with X Men sometimes of them coming across like they're they're talking about oppression that they're not showing in the comics. It kind of felt like that. Whereas I think everyone can be like, okay, yeah, p- people with like a, a strong physical disability, like a, a weird blood disease, whatever. That makes sense that the world would kind of not be great for that right but they that it's he just gets bullied by some kids and like that's it we don't see him struggle on anything else because lucian has a fuck ton of money for some reason he's just a rich dude right so he just sits there in his man in his mcmansion with his mcbodyguards with his own personal doctor and it doesn't demonstrate why like this re the world hates us and you know we are we are the few against the the many blah blah whatever it's like it doesn't demonstrate that at all i can get the idea but it doesn't do the legwork right and then it is it, it you know he is angsty because the doctor man is more friends with morbius but not real it's so dumb the emotional stakes make no sense um which is disappointing because matt smith i think is definitely having fun and he's definitely trying, but there's no material to work with. And I wouldn't say Jared Leto is trying, um, but I think Jared Leto would have been good in this role maybe 10 years ago, back I, when he gave a shit. I honestly think this is better than him as Joker, though. Well, okay, yeah, but that's the floor. Um, this is... I think this is all I've seen him in besides that. So You just know of the meme of Jared Leto. The, the internet sensation of the the cult pedophile. Not really. You that all I know about that is what you've told me. So <laughs> I, I don't want to do any homework on that. Hell yeah, don't. It's um, scary. I honestly liked him as Morbius. I think had they had a good studio running this, it he might have given a great performance. I think. The reason why I was so okay with it walking out of the theaters was because I had such low expectations. I was ready to hate myself and hate the movie and everything, and it turned out to be almost fine. (laughs) It wasn't aggressively painful. It was just, it didn't go anywhere. It just wallowed in itself. (laughs) True. Yeah, it... It sounds like people are kind of annoyed with the self-serious tone. Um, that was one of the reasons I enjoyed it. Yeah. Because it's not. it doesn't earn its serious nature at all. But it's better than being... The moments where this movie shows any self-awareness and he's like, I bet him. It's like, oh, please, shoot me now. This is unfunny. It makes no sense. Just cr- cringe-inducing Morbius stupidity. is like... A thousand percent more angsty than Spider-Man. Oh, for, yeah, no, like, for sure. That, that's any comics I've read. That's the point. <laughs> there are a lot of different paths they could have taken this movie, and then they just basically turning him into a hero was a, just a boring, unoriginal thing. He's not even really an anti-hero because he doesn't really do any bad things. So right, he's supposed to be uh, more character. Dubious. 
that hates himself because of the things that he has to do to stay alive, but he's trying to fix himself. Right. He's just stuck in a vicious cycle, and he hates himself for it. Yeah. That's the point. (laughs) There's a lot to mine there, and they just kind of don't do it. Yeah. I liked the idea of the fake blood. I think that, like, the artificial blood and then the... The very on-the-nose Matrix reference of, like, the blue and the red blood. I liked that, but then they don't go anywhere with it, really. I was wishing that the fake blood didn't work for him at all. So that... I think that's a reason why this movie falls apart, is because he's surviving on the fake blood. He doesn't have to feed on real blood at all. That's that's a point. I, I... It... I think it was designed to be a sort of ticking clock for the movie, but they right. don't really display it enough for right. it to work. Because Lucian is feeding off real blood, and that's supposedly why he goes evil faster. Is like, yeah, this shit's good. You should be drinking this stuff instead. And Morbius is like, no, blue is, blue is good. Yeah, it just, <sighs> it's just very odd. Um, I think the there are some physical designs... I really like... Like what? I really like the way that they look as vampires. Yes. Sometimes the CG is really bad. Sometimes it's really good. I think the design in and of itself... Is good stuff. Yes. There are some shots where um, Jared Leto is in full CG face mode, and it looks really cool. Especially the the cheekbones. Yeah, the cheekbones. The the cheeks, basically. They get hollowed out. Suck in. Oh, it's so cool. And the the nose gets smushed, and his hair drapes down, and it gets greasier. I really like that. I just wish that it worked better in, like, actual execution, because then we see Lucian, who has basically the same face, but because of the different lighting choices and because he's not the the main good guy, they clearly spent much less time on him. And that doesn't always look that good. The The design is totally fine. I think that's something that's really cool. I liked the echolocation was, like, fine or whatever. Yep. I liked the little ear effect that they had. With like oh, it, yeah. it looked like the ear was, like, tickling it almost. crinkles up. That was really cool. Um, and I appreciated the... I'm pretty sure it's based off of real bat's ears, probably too. Probably, too. Um... I really liked the, I liked the whooshing, the, 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 the nightcrawler bamfing little, like the weird smoke particle trails. It makes no sense, but no. it's a nice like visual element. And it means when they basically become balls of bouncing vampire energy, um, the underlayer of their clothing is the color of the, like the trail. Yes. So when Morbius later puts on, a black jacket with a purple liner, he, he's a purple bamfing thing, and I like that. That's an actual homage to the outfit, which is usually red. And I like that. Like, that was that was cool. Um, I don't like how it doesn't translate to anything else, though. And the actual effects work it looks like crap. Um, also, they're way too strong. The, 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 maybe it's just my preferences, but I like my vampires to, yeah, cool, they're very strong, whatever. But, like, this was very over the top. He kind of does a they have like a dragon ball fight at the end and then he put like uses bats to like it's weird that stuff is just kind of crap they bust through 80 levels of the floor like make him super strong and whatnot but the way that they show it makes me feel like he's more strength than he is sneaky dark alley shit which is what vampires are for so it's kind of weird um, 
I don't know. There are just some visual elements that I thought were really cool, including the, like, 80s synth intro. Like, that stuff is cool. Yep. Um, but none of that really carries over. The movie has no sense of style. Nope. It's style... <coughs> It's style in the general, ooh, this movie tries to be flashy rather than have substance sort of way, but it's not stylish in, like, it has a cohesive vibe. The lighting is inconsistent. It's mostly just blue, not in a cool way. It just kind of looks like blue. Well, you know what was consistent? The after credit scenes. Oh, <laughs> no! I was fine with this movie until the end credits scene. Genuinely drops it down a very big bar. Yes. So, before we even talk about them, you said the director spoiled them on social media. Yes. And I was like, that's an interesting tactic. That I I would think that's going to make people want to go see the movie. Because I didn't hear what was spoiled. Sony wants you to pay them money and sit there for two hours to watch the post credit scenes. And then I saw them and I was like, that director is stupid. That only made people not go see this movie because yeah. that's easily the worst part of this movie. For sure. Oh so my gosh. There are two scenes, which are basically one scene. Legit one scene. Um, They're both mid credits, which is weird. So... <sighs> We get a very... Spoilers, by the way. For something that's already been spoiled yeah, on no social media. No one cares. For a movie that nobody's going to see. The fact that we're caught talking about a movie that's currently in theaters already implies spoilers, my good sir. It... <laughs> Joker is in The Batman. Um, spoilers, I guess. Oopsies. Um, Darn. Yeah, I know, right? Um, yeah, so we get a view of the New York skyline at night. And then the sky busts open... And it's very clearly like a really shitty Photoshop job of the magic from No Way Home because it looks nothing like... It looks like a flat image just slapped onto it. It doesn't look the same at all. Interesting. But the, implica that. the implication is that when the spell was getting cast, instead of, I don't know, like in No Way Home where it's people in other universes who know that Peter Parker and Spider-Man are getting pulled into the universe which that movie breaks its own logic, but we're not talking about that. Um, this then pushes fucking Adrian Toomes out of his universe because he knows Spider-Man is Peter Parker into the Sony Venom slash Morbius timeline, which he's like, nah, I hope there's better food here um, because he's clearly an old man collecting a paycheck. Um he gets released from prison because he just appears in a random prison cell and they're like, why are you here? And he's like, I don't know. Um, I don't belong here, though. And they go, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and then the next scene, he, I guess, calls Morbius because he's like a world famous dude. And he's like, meet me in the middle of nowhere. And we're going to make it look like a scene from Breaking Bad. And then he, he lands in, a, in his vulture suit, which the director has said is not the same one. Yep. So he cobbled that thing together without the Chitari technology at all, which makes no fucking sense. It's so clearly voiceover to an entirely CG character. Yep. They, and didn't, they left the helmet on the whole time. And it's just, hey, Doc, I think that it has something to do with Spider-Man. We should fight. We should fight him. And then Morbius is like, mm, fascinating. And then it ends. And this is my 13th reason. Um, <laughs> if Kevin Feige wake, it doesn't wake up, 
one day, this is why. He killed himself because of this. Um, Amy Pascal and Avi Arad killed him. <laughs> he, he was epstein <laughs> in his sleep. <laughs> How many of these jokes can we leave in? <laughs> <laughs> All of them. Jeez. Um, Thoughts of suicide may feel impossible to overcome, but with help and support, you can find hope and meaning. Call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK to speak to a counselor or visit suicidepreventionlifeline.org. It's free, it's confidential, it's available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And even if it feels like it, you are not alone. Um, so it, 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 uh, um, 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 okay. So, no. Mm -mm. Uh, the, the magic itself doesn't follow the logic, um, that it was set up in the movie that the magic is introduced in. Um, well, it doesn't it, make sense. Hey, you are clearly having a problem, a medical issue with a science project gone wrong. We should go kill Spider-Man. Okay. Yeah. This is clearly Spider-Man's problem. Um, and it is, it was stated, again, outside of the movie, there is a Spider-Man in this universe, which doesn't really track with Venom, but whatever. Um, so a Spider-Man exists here, so they know who Spider-Man is, I guess, but like... We don't know who the hell it is. Right, Morbius has no investment in Spider-Man. Not at all, which I'm okay with in its base concept. I like him crossing over with Spider-Man. Of course, he started there, but I think he has enough legs to work on his own. I freaking love the my favorite Morbius comic. I don't know which one it was. Is Morbius and Spider-Man being locked in a lab trying to science the shit out of Morbius's problem. It's yeah. fantastic. So we're never going to get that though. So this is where it gets really funny is because clearly Marvel Studios was not consulted or asked about this. I genuinely think Sony probably showed Kevin Feige this movie, did not show him the post-credit scenes and he found out about this on the internet like everybody else. That's the vibe I get from this is we're going to pull over this actor who clearly does not give a flying shit. Unlike in Homecoming, where he actually had a very good performance, the, Michael Keaton does not care about this at all. He's just collecting money. And we're going to break the logic of both universes to pull him into a universe where we don't know the Spider-Man to tease another Sinister Six movie, even though we just had a Sinister Six movie, but there were only five of them, and this one doesn't make any sense. And then they leave him there. So this character from the MCU just got yeeted into another universe without our Spider-Man. And they're going to cancel it. They're just going to be like, oh, for sure. no more of this universe. That thread's going nowhere. I genuinely believe that the par part of the new arrangement that Sony and Marvel Studios came to when they renegotiated the three years, two, three years ago. Something like that. And we never got the publicly disclosed details of. I think... Marvel Studios still gets to make Spider-Man movies. They can make whatever creative decisions they want. Sony gets to continue making Spider-Man villain movies, and they can technically make them canon to the MCU in some way, shape, matter, or form, as long as they don't direct directly reference anything in the MCU. So they can't, like, change events in the MCU. They can exist in this, basically, headcanon space. And I think Sony is just taking complete advantage of that because they cannot make a competent movie whatsoever, and they're just continuously trying so hard to make Marvel Studios money, and they're not using any of Marvel Studios's... Marvel Studios 
intelligence or resources or anything. They're just, they're trying to cheat the system and they've been trying to cheat the system for like 15 years now and it's not gonna work. I want to rant for a minute about the end credit scene in No Way Home. Oh. Because I love it to a point. Eddie Brock gets sucked away to Spider-Man's universe. Which doesn't make sense because he doesn't know Peter Parker! Shut up! Sucked away, he downs seven Mai Tais, trying to understand the events of this universe, and then he gets zapped right back to his home. I love that. I love... The teaser that, yeah, we're going to get Venom in Spider-Man. No. He gets drunk at a bar trying to understand the Avengers movies. And then gets zapped right back. That would have been fantastic. Just a nice little, ha, we got you, fans. But then they left a little drip of Venom on the bar. And that pisses me off. (laughs) I... I was very much so genuinely hoping that this movie, if you can call it a movie... Morbius. Yes. Would have been its own thing. It would not have referenced the other Sony properties. It would have just been a movie that technically could take place in the Marvel Universe. Honestly, that's what Sony needs to do. They need to stop referring to their last line of shitty movies. Yeah, and it's the same thing that Venom has... It clearly goes out of its way to sort of try to ham-fist itself into the MCU, even though it, again, doesn't even make sense because this is the first time they've had aliens, but it's like 2015 or whatever. Right. That doesn't make sense. And then Let There Be Carnage has a stupid post-credit scene and blah, 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 blah. Please kill me. Um, And then Morbius references Venom multiple times. Um, The offhanded, oh, hey, that thing in San Francisco was, like, fine. But then he directs, like, I Venom to scare some counterfeiter. So he just randomly finds counterfeiters because he needs their lab. That's absolutely insane, but we're not talking about that. Um, and that reference was dumb, and we just have the Daily Bugle continuing to exist, but it's the Sam Raimi movie logo. But this is not the Raimi universe, or probably the Tasm universe, and whatever. Just, if you want to do it, make a movie about a character... Do not go anywhere near any of the MCU's events or your own previous stuff. Do not make sequel bait. Do not make setup for anything else. Just get a solid leg to stand on. But they refuse to because they don't even know how to do that. They genuinely don't. It's completely absurd. Uh, There might even be a reference in Morbius to Kraven the Hunter, which I didn't pick up on until my second viewing. Because Lucian uh, had rough dealings with some Russian dude or whatever. Yeah. That's probably what that is. And I hate that. I hate that so much. Just stop. Please stop. Please don't watch this movie. Let it bomb so hard. Like I wish No Way Home did. And please let us move on. Before I carve my eyes out. So Jacob, what the hell have you been doing? Moving on. (coughs) I read... War is Hell, the first flight of the Phantom Eagle. It is a Marvel Max comic written by Garth Ennis and arted by Howard Chaikin. It came out first printing 2009. Originally published in 2008 is when the comics came out. Well, there you go. Originally 
published in 2008. It is a five-issue trade paperback. <clears throat> and it is a Max comic, so that's why I got it. I've been heeding Colin's advice and trying to collect a whole bunch of the Max stuff because there really isn't too, too much of it. This follows an air crew in the spring of 1917, so World War One. It's talking about uh, some of the technology of putting machine guns on the backs, or actually the fronts, of uh, helicopters, or no, uh, airplanes, and dogfights, and stuff. Uh, this was a rough book to read. It's very, very short. It took me about an hour. There's, the writing is really, really rough. It, there's a lot of Brit, British people all being British at each other, and there's so many terms and phrases. I read most of this going, I have no idea what they're saying. There's a running joke where they prank new guys with. I don't understand the joke at all. I am a little scared to say it on air because it might be a Max thing, but I, I just don't get it. I, it happened three times and every time I'm like, I don't know what's going on. Um, there's blood, there's gore, that's great. Um... Booba? Not Booba, but the the main character bangs a chick and then gets an STD from it. That's a plot line. <laughs> that's basically this book. It's just, um, the, the, the air crew is fighting dogfights and losing men. And war is bad. Um, spoilers for a comic nobody's heard of. Uh, the lead character l crashes down in no man's land, the the no the the no man's zone, <coughs> because it was trench warfare, and they're both like. Uh, kind of chilling, trying to figure out how to get out, and the, the buddy is hurt, and he's like, man, I'm not going to make it out. You should tell me your story and these weird things about you that you haven't told anybody, but we all just assumed you were a good guy. So he does that, and then the buddy dies, and the main character walks towards his own guys in the no man's land, and they're like, shoot him! And he dies. Wow. Kill. Bruv. This book sounds right shit, bruv. It, it's just weird. It yeah. doesn't set itself up. I don't understand why it was made. Besides, we need a World War I story that's violent. Make it a Max comic. <laughs> wow. It kind of sounds like shit. Kind of. Uh, face... Uh, the, 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 I cannot talk today. Cover price is $20. That is what I paid for it. Five would be a good price. Damn, bro. I'd suggest five. Wow. Ten That's if you're clearance collecting max comics. Damn. That sucks. But 
I was excited because I found this and two other Max lines at Stairway to Heaven Comics in downtown Newington. It is downtown Newington. New Hampshire. So shout out to them. They were super helpful uh, finding all kinds of stuff. I spent like two hours there Damn. at least trying to track down because I was flicking through so many boxes of single issues. Um, and uh, all the single issues that I found were like good condition and nice envelopes, nice cardboard backing. So good, good stuff. I found almost an entire Max line in the Dollar Dungeon. Wow. So, <clears throat> more Max stuff to come, probably, if I can find the one missing issue from each line. <laughs> so, speaking of things I wish I found in the Dollar Dungeon. Oof! Yeah, this is a rough, this is a rough episode. Um, I... I'm going to cram these two into one. We have done so much work this week. We've watched so many things. And all of it we've hated. Except Moon Knight. <laughs> Except Moon Knight. <laughs> and maybe Daredevil. I mean, a little bit. A little bit. Little Still bit. emotional labor to watch Jennifer Garner be cringe. Um, so I read Swamp Thing Tales from the Bayou. Oh, no. And Swamp Thing New Roots. They are two different trade paperbacks, which are collected editions of the Swamp Thing Giants and Swamp Thing 100-page Giants, or whatever they're called. Basically, during, just before COVID, this was originally a digital-only series that was in just digital, and then it went to Walmart or whatever. They're all out of continuity, apparently. Um, and then it went digital when COVID hit, and they cranked out a fuck ton of them. I don't know. I'm not looking further into it. Each issue i think had multiple stories in it i can't tell i don't want to uh okay so um okay in tales from the bayou there was one there is one story out of all of this that i thought was genuinely awesome and that was uh one by tom king and frank fuck me i mean if it's from tom king tom king and gary frank um basically Swamp Thing finds this this girl just chilling in the middle of winter and is like, hey, we're going to like save you. And then it basically turns into this infinite loop of him slowly dying because there's no green around. And then it turns out that the thing that's making the winter is the child. So he has to kill the child. It's very weird and very sad. That. It's rough. The art is gorgeous. It's Gary Frank. He's a god. Um, weird. Uh, so the fact that this was all like kind of Walmart exclusive or the internet. It's so bizarre. It doesn't make sense. Um, and then Tales from the Bayou in particular is just super random in the first half. There are like five or six diff different unconnected stories with different creative teams that don't go anywhere. Um, and then the second half are all written by Tim Seeley. Um, they're kind of episodic adventures with Swamp Thing and then... Um, what's his name? Uh, Dr. Woodrow's daughter, basically. So Woodrow's dead, and she doesn't know that Swamp Thing is one that killed him. It's weird. But she uh, becomes... I don't know if it's romantic or not. They're friends, I think. Um, and they, like, go on adventures, and they are finding various different new creatures, and there are different artists in the different issues. They all pick up at random places. I don't get it. I wish I got it. Um, 
And New Roots has a um, arc from uh, Mark Russell uh, with illustrations by, I believe, all of it done with Marco Santucci. Um, it was absolute schlock. I'm usually the one who's like, yeah, I love the boring stories about Megacorp bad. They do bad experiments and kill people and whatever. And this was so bad. They involve the Pentagon and Swamp Thing kills a lot of people, but then he doesn't kill people. And they're, they hire a, a voodoo lady, but she betrays Swamp Thing. It's so fucking schlocky. Um, the art was fine, but oh my gosh. Okay, and then there was a story about the spirit of murder, which is weird. Um, basically, Swamp Thing finds the spirit of the man who planted the bomb that killed him. So we have, there are so many things that coalesced in um, his original death. It's insane. Um, it was... <clears throat> There was, like, a mega company that wanted to kill him because he was being too smart and, like, making stuff that wouldn't make money or whatever. They hired a dude to plant a bomb. He died. Um, Anton Arcane was there in most interpretations. It's fucking weird. Um, but the idea of him putting this spirit to rest and forgiving the man who planted the bomb because he, like, needed money or whatever, it, it was kind of cool. Um, it was really drawn out over multiple issues, and that was very bizarre. Gen genuinely, it took me like three weeks to read both of these. They're tiny trades that collect a fuck ton of really small issues, but none of it makes any sense. I do not want to open these again. I would pay a large amount of money just to own the specific issue that has the Tom King and Gary Frank story in it, and only that. Because the rest of this is mid to pure garbage. Um... Uh, both of these were $17. I bought one at Amazon and one at Jetpack. Maybe if you're trying to go through everything Swamp Thing ever because you're like me and have problems. Or just get the specific issues you like. If you can find them anywhere. Because this was this this is clearance rack at best. Well, uh... <laughs> That reminds me of something that I wanted to talk about uh, from Daredevil. He clearly kills a dude by throwing him on the rails of a subway yes. in the opening of the movie. And then the end of the movie, he fights Kingpin and is like about to kill him, but doesn't because he's a hero. Yes, that's Daredevil's arc is choosing to not kill people. Wow. That bothers me. So anyway, uh, I read Spawn... Technically, the third collection of, uh, like, if you bought the third uh, trade paperback collecting issues, uh, 21 through 30. Uh, it's been a while since I've read Spawn. Uh, I would say, I don't know, six months since I reviewed the last one, maybe? And uh, I must say, it was a little difficult picking it back up. Uh, the story is very tightly knit in itself. And to, to prove that point, the first issue, issue uh, 20, 
I think it was issue 20. <clears throat> I forget how it's split up. If it's, you know, 19, uh, oh my gosh, 10 to 19 or 11 to 20. Either way, the first issue that I read uh, had seven callbacks to previous issues. That's of a few. Spawn. And that's basically how every issue was. It had so little going on in the story. And every time they referred to anything that happened previously, they had to give you which issue that happened in. Ugh. There I'm sure were that was a nightmare for the editors. Several pages with multiple callback blocks. It was kind of frustrating. Because not a whole lot happened in this collection. Like, Spawn's brooding. Wow, Spawn is brooding? And posing. Gotta make them action figures, buddy. And every once in a while, a bad guy will send a big bad guy to Spawn's area, and Spawn will be like, no, this is mine. And beat him up, and then he'll brood again. Wow. I was pretty bored reading this. Um, I got up to issue 29, and that's where I had to stop. I had two issues of the collection, I believe, left, uh, because issue 29 picks up after Angela 1 through 3. So, uh, this collection was right about the time that uh, Image Comics started making spin-off stories. So That whole thing with Neil Gaiman. Oof. Near the beginning of this, uh, whatever story arc that this uh, trade paperback would have started with, uh, there's a Violator run, I believe that had six issues, going on in the background and the bad guy that was sending other bad guys to go get spawn was always like how are you guys doing and they're like spawn's kicking our ass he's like well do better send another bad guy i've got something else to deal with and it would say read violator number one that happened many times uh but by issue 29 it literally picks up with a scene from angela three so I stopped reading and I watched an hour and a half long video of a couple of guys on YouTube that I've never even heard of, but they did a great video um, going through Angela 1 through 3. And turns out, not a whole lot happens. <laughs> Angela's put on trial by the angelic hosts because of reasons, and she fights Spawn for some reason. And that's where we find Spawn in, in Spawn 29. I'm kind of oversimplifying, but not really. Like, it's amazing how little happens in these comics. <laughs> There's a lot of words and not a whole lot happening. But it looks cool. Toys. Um, I bought the compendium for 50 bucks, so be prepared for more Spawn content, I guess. Spoon content. Have you watched the, I think it was 90s cartoon? Or early 2000s? Uh, I watched the first three episodes, and it was literally what the comics did. Yes. And I was like, well, I don't want to spoil the actual comics. So That's I fair. stopped watching it. But I did really, really appreciate the, the cartoon. It was good stuff. I kind of wish 
I had just watched that instead of buying the comics. Holy crap. It's so rough because you'll have four pages of a fight scene. And there's not a whole lot of words. It's just art. And it looks great. And it's like, yeah, this is good shit. And then you'll turn the page and there's just the freaking bad CIA guy sitting in a dark office and a freaking novel's worth of page text text on the page and it's like oh my gosh it takes 10 minutes to read this one page because there's so many words on it and i feel like colin <laughs> understandable i have some days i feel like colin so that's that's fair um the the writing for spawn comics is just so choppy it's todd fucking mcfarlane <laughs> he cannot write worth dog shit but he can kind of draw kind of Kind of. Kind of sometimes. Sometimes uh, it's bad. Sometimes it's amazing. The two knuckleheads I found on YouTube said that they directly called out the issues I had just read. And they were like, this is where Todd McFarlane stopped drawing and pawned it off to somebody else because he was doing other things. So that was interesting. I hadn't really caught on it. I, I mean, there were a couple of things that I'm like, that looks different. That's new and improved, and I like that. And then it turns out it wasn't Todd. So, yeah. oops. So I, I'm not talking about Batman. Uh, I read Deadpool Kills the Marvel Universe, which is a four-issue miniseries uh, written by Cullen Bunn and illustrated by Dalibor Talajik. I have no idea how to say their name. I am so sorry. This uh, came out in 2012. And is the first of multiple Deadpool kills the things. Um, basically, Deadpool goes crazy. And that's basically the whole book. Um, Deadpool gets experimented on. He finally gets captured by the X-Men and the Avengers. And they're like, we're going to put him in an insane asylum. We must fix him. He's killed too many people. Ah! Um, and he... You know how Deadpool has multiple voices in his head that represent different parts of his psyche and whatnot? Um, well, he finds another voice after getting shocked really hard, and it's... The writer? Maybe? Deadpool becomes excessively... excessively self-aware of the fourth wall and the fact that not just Dirty Dorime in a story, he, is, he knows he's in a comic book, and he kills everyone because they don't understand him and they don't understand that he has his eyes opened and he's setting them free because he thinks everyone all of the characters are puppets on a string to someone else so if he kills all of them eventually he can find the person who is pulling the strings kill them and kill the people pulling their strings and whatnot so though he kills the watcher um he kills ever everyone like he kills spider-man duel of the fates funko pop Keep it away from me. <clears throat> um, he oh, he kills Mr. Fantastic in the opening, which is very gross. Um, he just kills a fuck ton of people, and then all of those heroes, friends, relatives, and love interests collectively pile their money together and find Taskmaster to have Taskmaster kill Deadpool because he is the one who has the best shot because he can mimic his abilities and all that fun stuff. Um... Deadpool tries to convert Taskmaster to his side because he thinks that Taskmaster will understand because he's like a mimic or whatever. I didn't totally follow on that logic. Um, he ends up killing him with the Man-Thing, which is a character who you think is a Swamp Thing ripoff, but he's really not. He might have even come first. I genuinely don't know. 
it comes in three pieces. That's that's shit. That sticks together. That's a hundred cool. bucks. Yep. Fuck you. Yep. That's asinine. It looks nice put together. I guess. Um, the Funko aesthetic is so worn out on me now. Yeah, like it's sure. it's cool for some things. Yep. Um, and then Deadpool travels through various different universes and kills many different Deadpools doing Deadpool things. There's like a Deadpool George Washington or whatever. He like swims through this weird portal world and then he finds the writers and artists of the book and he's about to kill them. And then the book ends and ah, okay. So this is like a really, really popular Deadpool run book, whatever. Um, this is one of the, it's tiny. It's very, very small. This is extremely mainstream and it's like fine. Yep. The art is inconsistent. I don't not like the aesthetic. I really like the cover work, but the, the as usual, the interior does not look like the cover. Um, it's fine. Some of the character the character designs are fairly bog standard. This is just supposed to be some random universe where Deadpool goes fucking crazy, or he becomes sane like the jo he's super sane like the Joker. Nah. Um, and he just kills people that look like our versions of these characters and whatnot. Um, I like the idea. The concept is cool. It feels really, really underbaked. It feels like this had to get pumped out on a deadline. So they ran with the idea, but they didn't hammer out any of the details. And just kind of kept going as they went along. And then they, they knew... Deadpool becomes self-aware self -aware to the point he knows he's in a comic book and he's going to kill us at the end of it. And I think they just filled everything else in from there because, ee, I do not follow most of the logic in this book. I read it over twice because it takes like 10 minutes to read. It's so small. <laughs> um, the dialogue was fun and witty. The weird traps he, let, he, he makes for certain characters is fun. He has to kill Wolverine twice. He like abducts Wolverine's children and puts them in a torture machines so they keep dying over and over again it's nasty that stuff is fun the taskmaster fight was pretty good torture is nasty and fun yeah um especially child torture true they're yeah. not they're not children children but they are his children uh. um and yeah he kidnaps arcade the x-men villain to make these traps for him it was very weird yeah. uh wolverine puts him out of his misery Basically, I, I don't know, man. Um, I get why this concept is cool. I think it's cool. I think this was definitely worth exploring, and I hope that its sequel series is better because oh this is rough. I enjoyed it. It's this you can legitimately read in one sitting while on the toilet. It's so fast. I love that we use that as a standard. Oh, absolutely. This, this book was one shits long. As opposed to my other talking point, which was four shits long. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I read this at work when I had to go into cover. I just needed something quick to bring with me because I knew I was going to be bored. And it's like, fine. And that's really it. Um, I'll probably read it again. There are some aspects of certain designs I like. I like Deadpool having like a weird hood collar thingy. But I don't know. Um, I picked this up for $4. Nice. Used at a bull moose. Perfect. <clears throat> I definitely thought it was worth the $4. Um, I hope I can find its sequel for the same price because I, I, I don't want to take it. I didn't know a... there was a sequel. 
Yeah, it's, I think it's Deadpool kills the Marvel Universe again. Really? Or something like that. Mm. It, it, there are multiple kind of sequels. That's a rough looking Hulk. Hulk is hard to do, man. Most people draw the Hulk to look like shit. Ugh. Yeah, it's like fine. The covers are nice. That's really it. Um, so, thank you for torturing yourself along with us as we did torture to ourselves by watching a lot of mediocre things. Um, a big thank you to our patron, Jeff Lorenz. Uh, Jeff helps keep the lights on here, and he has been with us for a very, very long time. He has leveled up to patron saint, for sure. This is true. He is our new patron saint. Or as Colin would say, the patron, patron saint taint. He is Saint Taint. He is Saint Taint. Um, <laughs> a big thank you. Uh, if you want to become a patron, help keep this show running, help us upgrade our merch and stuff uh, every once in a while, you can get all of our stickers for free. Like I've been saying for a while now, we are getting bookmarks working out. That may be at the beginning of Season 3. Colin is still working on it. Um, but you can get stickers more stickers um we will shout you out every episode we may or may not have q a's every once in a while for certain episodes uh so we'll interact with you on patreon and on social media for sure you get our first attention our our, our first priority of attention i'm so stupid and can't speak <laughs> um you can also get a sketch of the episode topic uh done by colin so say uh, you came on board for this episode. Uh, Colin would need to do a sketch of the 2003 Daredevil movie um, for you. And you would get it in the mail. It would be very cool because Colin is cool and does lots of art stuff. It is very cool. Colin yes. does great art. I loved that idea when we came up with that. I think that was Colin's idea. That was great. I think I completely missed that. That changed and I was not aware of it. But you, I, I really like it. It was originally going to be like a thing of your choosing, but then Colin wanted to be able to like, in theory, do a lot more of them if need be. So it became a whatever the nearest main topic was. So he does different art stuff, which is cool. Excellent. Um, you also get exclusive clips and segments. Uh, every once in a while, we go on some weird random tangent that we need to cut out of the main episode. That gets put up on Patreon. Sometimes uh, we say things that are very, very, very edgy. Those also go on Patreon. Well, depending on how edgy. Depends. Um, you also get an exclusive segment slash podcast, Dime Comic Bros Happy Hour, which happens every week. Uh, that is well, uploaded. Most weeks. Most weeks. <laughs> most weeks. I will be doing it myself this episode while I sit there with coffee and do nothing but rant. So this is going to be spicy. Uh, so make sure that you tune in and pay us to listen to me rant. A big thank you to our partners over at Jetpack Comics and Games in downtown Rochester, New Hampshire. Um, I legitimately go in once a week. Maybe every two weeks, but all the time. Um, I, they pull all of the DC books I want to get. Uh, they're going to have to start pulling Moon Knight whenever that comes out because I'm going to get on board to the concurrent run like a psychopath. Like a pole boy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they've been really, really helpful in terms of the uh, Beyond the White Knight launch. There was a lot of confusion around all of that stuff, so they were really, really helpful. Uh, they have an in with Sean Murphy because he, uh, he's friends with uh, Ralph, the owner of Jetpack. That's public knowledge. I'm allowed to say that. Um, so that was really cool. 
Um, so big thank you to them for being really cool about helping people out and answering all sorts of weird, silly goober questions and rich for randomly putting up with me going, so what do you think about this thing? And then I just, I ask him to give me 10 minutes of monologuing. Um, so big thank you for putting up with us. Rich knows to avoid you because you'll be across the store going, dad, dad, hey, dad. Yeah, pretty much. Yep. Just, I need help with this thing. And he gives really good book recommendations or you can go harass Kyle. Because Kyle will talk to you all the time. Yeah, Kyle's cool. They're all cool. They're all great. Great folks all the time. Go give them your money. Tell them that we sent you. Slap the poster on the way in for good luck. Uh, steal a business card on the way out to give to all your friends, family, coworkers, enemies, frenemies. Definitely uh, enemies. <laughs> and we, your rivals. We had leftover business cards, like the, the, the first... Uh, batch of our business cards that kind of looked like ass and we we propaganda style airplane drop them all over russia <laughs> actually we've had lessons in russia and i don't understand why <laughs> yeah, very, very weird probably found us through reddit um so next week is a news week all three of us will be here for that we will continue talking about moon Knight. it might be episode three next week, if I can count correctly. So you never know. I don't know. think you can. I probably can't. It's, it's going to be episode two and a half. Oh, oh <laughs> I see what it is. It's going to be... Um, it's going to be the Mandalorian the, crossover. No, it's going to be the book of Mark Spencer. <laughs> We're going to take a six-episode detour. Um, make sure you tune in on whatever platform you like, YouTube, audio platforms, uh, follow us on social media on Twitter and Instagram to get all sorts of funsies, sketches, goober, goober posting, uh, you get to watch us watch movies, lots of Colin's toes, uh, yeah. Yes. Thanks for listening and, uh, goodbye. Colin will be back next week. Get out of my house. We all know that's why you listen. Colin, get out of my walls. Mama makes me munch my M&M's. And make you munch on your fucking carpet. My own? Yes. Wow. Mama makes me munch my M&M's. Balls. Sorry. Jacob is blowing your mom. Can you link me that video so I can put it in the description? Well, I just called them knuckleheads, so... We call each other dipshits all the time. It's not. Yeah, but I don't want to be rude to other YouTubers, especially comic YouTubers. It seems like a friendly knucklehead. All right, fine. I like, I like linking stuff. Not like anyone's going to pay any attention. It feels good. You don't have to do it right now. I